0: Judges, Judges chapter number 8 tonight, Judges chapter number 8, it has been a a privilege to have the opportunity to study through the book of Judges and uh, let me encourage you if you don't study the Bible, you need to start studying it, Um, there's a lot of things that God has in his word that we miss out on when we just read the Bible and we don't study the Bible. Um, You read some things, and as you begin to study, the Holy Spirit of God begins to illuminate things for you. And uh, we go through here and see some things that God's teaching us, and everything's in the Bible for our benefit to help us to grow and to know the Lord better and to know what not to do, what to do, uh, all of those things. But uh, here we are in Judges chapter number 8, and uh, we just spoke about how Gideon, Uh, was given a plan by God on how to defeat the Midianites. And uh, in chapter 7, we saw what happened and what took place with the empty pitchers and the lamps in the pitchers. And what a picture it was of a vessel that can be used of God if it's empty. And it's only full of the light that God brings. And what what an example that we see through the word of God as we can look at it and study the fact that when we empty ourselves of self, God can use us in a miraculous way. And uh, we have to get rid of self and allow God to shine through us. But in order for us to shine forth the way God wants us to shine forth, we've got to be broken. And we talked about that last week, how God uh, breaks us so that the light inside of us, that is, the Holy Spirit, can shine forth through us. And we come now to uh, this place where, in verse 20 uh, of chapter 7, it said, And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their hand, in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with awe, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all around, and all the uh, the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And all the host fled uh, to Bethshemesh and Zareth, and the border of uh Abelah, Hoah, and Tabith. Aren't you glad we don't live in those places? Amen. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together in Naphtali, out of Asher and out of Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all the Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and take before them waters of uh, Bethbara and Jordan. And then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters into Beth- Bethbara and, Ju- and Jordan, And they took the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and slew Oreb with the rock of Oreb and Zeb. They slew in the winepress of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. Uh, Let's pray. We're going to talk about some things here tonight. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to get into your word. Lord, I pray that you use me as your mouthpiece tonight. Hide me behind the cross. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you, as we go through your word tonight, that you'll uh, strengthen us, encourage us, <laughs> help us to, uh, Lord, glean some truths from your word tonight, and Lord, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and glory for it in Christ's name, amen. Here we are, we just see what happens here, remember all the story how God uh, cut down Gideon's army all the way down to 300 men and had the plan to go out here and uh, all these different things. and. Gideon had a tremendous, he, they've won a tremendous victory in the plain of Jezreel down here as they went down where the Midianites were and God, through God's working and God's deliverance with the nation and uh, God's plan and how the Midianites suffered heavy losses and uh, they lost over 135,000 men, now they're down to about 15,000 which fled and took off uh, running and the tribes now have been summing for uh, the cleanup process, basically, okay, let's finish the job. Uh, he called the, the rest of the tribes down to to do that, to help clean up things, and that included the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim cut off the escape route to the Midianites, and uh, they had set up a, a roadblock, if you would, uh, so that they couldn't escape at the Jordan, and they captured the two Midianite princes, princes Oreb and Zeb, and uh, they brought them down. But there's a new problem that develops for Gideon. Everything's been going good. The battle's been going good. Uh, in fact, the Midianites destroyed themselves. And then they take off running because uh, they had already seen ahead of time that in a vision. Remember, the one guy had a dream. And he said, and they yelled to, that Gideon and them were going to come. And they were going to wipe up the, the ground with them. And they were all uh, fleeing for their lives. And it says in chapter 8, Now, is where we're at uh, tonight, we're going to get here, and I'm going to share some things with you. I'll give you the title of the message in just a minute. But you would think now that the battle, those 300 men that were with Gideon are doing some great things. Now, Gideon sends messengers to tell the rest of them, hey, we've got them on the run, fellas. Uh, Let's go back to fighting. Let's finish them off. Let's get rid of the rest of the Midianites. And here Ephraim cuts off the end here, but Ephraim, there's a problem with Ephraim. Ephraim is proud Ephraim has some pride issues and as I was studying some things about this I want you to see verse number one and the men of Ephraim said unto him why hast thou served us thus that thou called us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites and they did chide with him sharply and he said unto them what have I done now in comparison of you is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizer? God uh, hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Orb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? And their anger was abated towards him when he had said that. And in verse 4, and Gideon came to Jordan and passed over, he and 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. Here Gideon and them are tired. Gideon and them have been chasing the Midianites. Here comes Ephraim, now at the end. They they, they weren't some of the ones that wanted to stay and fight. They were some of the ones that went back. Um, And that's a history throughout Ephraim. You'll see that uh, tonight. I'm going to go back and give you some history on Ephraim. But Ephraim has some complaints, but they're full of pride. Ephraim wanted the glory of the victory. Ephraim wanted to to say, well, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be the one to get the glory for the battle rather than just the leftover, as you would say. They have the mentality of being pride and wanting to strut their stuff and see uh, everybody glory in them. That's what the tribe of Ephraim wanted. Ephraim was the type of people, you'll see it through the history as we go through here about it. But I've entitled the message tonight, uh, don't be a proud peacock like Ephraim. Don't be a proud peacock like Ephraim. You say, why? Because peacocks are proud. I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit tonight. But Gideon has uh, done some great things through following the Lord and some obedience to the Lord. But there's a complaint that Ephraim gives. And things have been going great. God's been working. Man, victory's at hand. Uh, Things are, are just, man, when they busted those pitchers and shouted out loud and blew the trumpets, man, the battle was hot. Midian started destroying themselves. They're on the run. All these things, Gideon and them are chasing after them. They're in hot pursuit with the two princes of Midian fleeing. Orb and Zeb are fleeing from them. And here they come in hot pursuit behind them. And uh, Gideon sends messengers, says, hey, listen, boys, we need to cut them off. We need to get those of you that have left the battle that weren't here for the main fight. You need to help stop things off and cut them off and help us finish this off. And Ephraim shows up at the end of it. But Ephraim's complaining here. And uh, here's a picture of all of this, just so you understand. When things are going good and the work of God is going forward, Satan's going to do everything he can to hinder God's people from doing God's work. And Satan can't hinder God's people from without. So what he endeavors to destroy God's work is from within. He's trying to use the, the the tribes there to battle against each other rather than the enemies of God coming after them. And you understand, it's not what's on the outside that's going to destroy the church of God. It's what's on the inside that's going to destroy the church. You see, it's, it's, it's what's on the inside of each one and every one of us. Our personal relationship with God. Are we doing what God wants us to do? But uh, peacocks were known uh, for pride. They strut around with their feathers spread looking at their beauty and all of those things as they walk around they're a very quarrelsome bird Uh, I was doing some study on them they don't get along with other birds they're the type of birds that like to make their voices loud and it's a very unpleasant sound it gets louder and louder the higher they climb on the trees and they desire the high places that's what a peacock is. When danger is near, though a peacock, even though it is a an unpleasant bird and one that doesn't get along well with others, whenever danger arises, a peacock is the first to run away. They don't want to stand and fight. A peacock's one that uh, they have a. They are a good description of exactly what the tribe of Ephraim is. Uh, the tribe of Ephraim is the epitome of pride, and uh, they are a great example of what a lot of uh, God's children are like. They want to be seen, they want to say, look at the beauty on the outside, look at what's here. But when the battle's hot, they want to run away. They don't want to stay and fight. They don't want to be there for the battle, but they want to be there at the end to get the glory out of it. They want to be the ones that don't want to get the work done, but they want the fruits of the labor at the end. That's the tribe of Ephraim. They're not the ones that want to get involved, get their hands dirty and do the work. They're the ones that want to reap the benefits in the afterwards. That's how Ephraim was. Ephraim was the largest of all the tribes. The tabernacle of Shiloh was located in Ephraim. And Ephraim uh, descended from Joseph uh, all the way down through. You had Ephraim and Manasseh, all of those, and they were very proud of their heritage. Ephraim is now complaining. They're saying in verse number 1, Why hast thou served us thus, that thou called us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him him sharply. They said, How come you didn't call us for the battle just for the end of it? How come you you didn't ask us to be here and be involved? How come you weren't doing this? And I think because Gideon understood what Ephraim was all about. Gideon knew who Ephraim was, they had a testimony of it, and uh, we'll see some of that here in a little while. But they're complaining for personal jealousy, they had their pride injured. Uh, They said, why did you not call us to fight with the Midianites? And they're not rejoicing at all in the victory. Instead, they're uh, displaying their bitterness and jealousy that has robbed them of the glory of the spoils of the 127,000 men. That uh, had lost their lives. See it was customary when you won a battle. That you would go through and you would pick through the, uh, the things of the enemies that were there. Whatever uh, they had. Maybe their swords or the money that was on them. Or whatever that was you would go through. And those, you would confiscate those things. Because you just won the battle. Now it belonged to you. And Ephraim wasn't glorying in the fact that the battle was won. Ephraim was complaining that they weren't there to get the spoils. That they weren't there to get the good things. That was, uh, that was amongst all the Midianites there, the, the money and the monetary possessions and all of those things. And, but if Ephraim was really concerned about the battle, they could have attacked the Midianites on their own. They were large enough to do it. The, the tribe of Ephraim was big enough that they, Gideon, couldn't have had, Gideon wouldn't have had to fight by himself. Ephraim could have went on their own and fought the Midianites. But they didn't. They didn't. They could have volunteered for Gideon's army, but they didn't. They're jealous and angry because they lost out on the goods. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, it says, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. Envy is rottenness of the bones. You understand Satan's very sly. He's very good at what he does. He likes to attack when great victory is won. When things are going good and victory's going forth, Satan likes to attack. He likes to do things and try to get things disgruntled from the outside. He loves seeing feuding amongst God's people. He likes people getting upset with other people. When the, the victory's going good and the battle's going on, and man, things are going forward and we're pressing on, oh man, we're weary, we're tired, we're faint, yet pursuing on for God. He wants to come in and cause turmoil inside the church. He wants to come and cause turmoil inside the armies of God. In the early church, he had tried to use problems with Ananias and Sapphira. if you remember, uh, they were going to sell their land and they said they were going to do this. And all of a sudden, here's what happened. They came and they lied, didn't they? And all of a sudden, Ananias and Sapphira, they had lied and held back. And it brought trying to bring dissension in the church. Satan knows exactly when we're fighting ourselves that we'll get sidetracked and stop pursuing the enemy. And who's the enemy? Satan. Satan doesn't want God's people pursuing after him. Satan doesn't want God's people to be on the offense, fighting against Satan. He wants us to be sidetracked and have our minds on the petty things. My mind went to 1 Corinthians when uh, they were feuding one another and going to law one against another. And the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he tells them, he says, guys, you're looking at things all wrong. He said, why would you go to the world to try to solve the disputes? And why would you go to ungodly judges? I'm paraphrasing all of this. But he says, neither idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. He said, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor revilers, nor extortioners, nor drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God. He said, and such were some of you. He reminds them of what they used to be and what they are now. And he says, God, let's get back to our priorities. And the fact is, we're children of god we're saved by grace by the grace of god we would be the same way that the world is he said but we're washed we're sanctified we're justified and he tried to keep their mind on the right track but satan likes to get a sidetrack. he likes us to get off course he likes us to get offended if you would and see offended the bible says great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them and whenever we think of the word offended we think of getting our feelings hurt but to be truly offended doesn't mean that you got your feelings hurt. It meant that you were off-ended. You went off-course. If you study the actual context of that word, it means that you go off-track, off-course of where you're supposed to be. See, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, he said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And he says this, do not err, my beloved brethren. That word err, E-R-R, means to deviate from a path or line of duty. See, what Satan tries to do is when the battle's hot, when the victory's going forward, when God's children are going right, uh, just like Gideon and those 300 men are in hot pursuit of the Midianites, there's going to be people on the outside that aren't fighting the battle, that aren't wanting to do things. Oh, they might be part of the church, part of the congregation, but they're not the ones doing the work, and they're going to start complaining and griping. Though, how come I'm not doing, getting the blessing or the recognition of what's going on? And Satan's going to try to get us sidetracked because he knows if we keep pressing on and uh, pressing on that upward way and keep our eyes fixed on Christ, then he is the target. And Satan doesn't like that when God's children get going forward. But Gideon, in all of this, he didn't get sidetracked. Gideon used great wisdom. And he was wisdom in calling the tribes uh, around Jezreel's valley but he did not call Ephraim's. Can you imagine the problems that had arisen when Gideon told the fearful to go home? Or because you drank of the water the, the, the different way to go home? There would have been basically just some kind of turmoil. Could you imagine being in that? Where Gideon said, if you're afraid, go home. And they just went home. Oh, well, you didn't drink water the way you're supposed to drink water. Go home. And they went home. And now he had these 300 men that are fighting and God's doing a great victory. But he was, the, the, the ones from Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, not looking at this as, man, look at the miracle God did. They're not looking at this as, wow, 300 men were able to defeat 125,000 people because God's plan always works. They weren't rejoicing in that. They're saying, how come you didn't call us to the battle? How come we weren't there to enjoy the spoils? How come I wasn't there when uh, this talked about it? Well, maybe because we knew we couldn't trust in you. Maybe, you know, see, I'm just that smart aleck type person, you know. Gideon had more wisdom than I would have had probably in that time. A little bit more fleshly, I guess, uh, most of us would have said. But the fact of the matter is, Gideon was using some wisdom in his response. But the Ephraimites were proud and selfish. They didn't want uh, the fact that God was going to get glory through this amazing victory. They wanted to have turmoil and chaos and you know you ever found it funny how drama just thrives in a church you ever thought about that drama just man we are the kings and queens of drama if it's about drama we want to hear about it you know we got to have that new gossip going around why because we want to know all the the juice that's going on and it just seems like satan brings that drama along so we get sidetracked from what we're supposed to be doing our mind get focused on the wrong things, and we're not now in hot pursuit of the devil, but yet we're out here sidetracked, living in gossip and sin of our own life, and God's not going to use us the way he wants to use us because we're not focused on the battle headed for the army uh, against, against, uh, against God and fighting against the enemy. Have you ever seen two brothers fighting? You ever seen that happen before, two brothers fighting? My brother's ten and a half years younger than me. He wasn't dumb enough to fight against me because I was a little bit bigger than him. And I'm still a little bit bigger than him, but he's in the military now, and he's in pretty good shape. So I don't try that one anymore. I told him I'd have to hurt him quickly if we got in a fight, uh, get that over with. I try to keep that fear. I, I tell him this, Brother Eddie, no matter how big he gets, I'm always big brother. And I try to keep that in his mind, you know, just that kind of mental game that you play with them. But the fact is, you ever seen two brothers fighting? That's basically what's happening here. Basically, Gideon is from Manasseh, which is the brother tribe of Ephraim. And this is basically the Ephraimites are mad now at those from Manasseh because they're saying Manasseh's getting the glory and not us. It seems like all these they got all the spoils and we didn't get it. And here's a problem that we face here. It seems like they're chiding. Uh, it, it said they chided against him sharply with Gideon. That word chide is defined as being strong, bitter, or cutting words. How do you think Gideon felt when his brother tribe comes to him and starts chiding against him? He's thinking, listen, we're fighting a battle. You're supposed to be on our side. You're my brother. What's the problem? Why are you fighting against me? You're not the enemy. They are. Can you imagine how Gideon felt? Here the Ephraimites are now doing this. I'm sure he was hurt. Nothing will (laughs) put... The fire of enthusiasm out in your life more than a brother in Christ criticizing you. You know, what the world has to say really doesn't affect us as much as when a brother in Christ or somebody uh, that's close to you says something negative about you. I'm sure it hurt him. You ever just think about the times that maybe you, you thought something was good and then your spouse threw a interjection in there that kind of cut at you a little bit. It hurts. It hurts sometimes. That Maybe an employee says your idea wasn't as good as you thought it was. You know, and they chide against you, maybe a school teacher, a pastor. Attacking maybe some untrue, vicious statements that people say sometimes. We hurt people with our words. We get mad and start chiding against one another. Those are hurtful times. And I couldn't imagine how Gideon felt. But here's the problem is these selfish people were concerned about, number one, themselves. Well, do this for me. Give it to me. I wanted it this way. They had that selfish mindset. These people were not concerned about the responsibility that God had given them. They were concerned about what was in it for them. See, and that's why I believe a lot of people aren't in the battle fighting for God because it's not about them. It's about him. And they're not all about doing it for him. They're all about doing it for them. And We have a lot of people that want to exalt themselves and lift themselves up high. But I believe they'd have more marriages that hit that golden number or that silver number that they would say all there. If we just learned that it was not about us, it's about other people. It's about God. The problem that we have in most relationships today is we're selfish in our relationships. We have that pride like a peacock does. A peacock wants to uh, puff up and show everybody how how beautiful it looks. And on the outside, you know what, they're aggressive towards other birds a little bit. But as soon as danger comes, as soon as a battle's there, man, they're ready to run. And they'll squawk loud and you'll hear about it. And they'll be the one to jaw at you left and right. But they're not the ones that are going to win the battle. It's those that are going to be steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. But how did Gideon respond to these proud peacocks? his brothers in Christ that are criticizing him and going his way. Look what, look what it says in verse 2. It says, And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison of you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ab- uh, uh, Bezer God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated towards him when he had said that. How would you have responded to vicious words like that? Put yourself in his place. Gideon basically says to them, what have I done in comparison to you? God gave you the princes. He delivered all that into your hand. He has 15,000 Midianites to go in this battle. He was tired, faint, yet pursuing them. All these things. Gideon was wrong, but he demonstrated that unity of God's people is more important than personal pride. He demonstrated the fact that, listen, we need to be unified, not divided. Because there's a principle that says a house divided against itself will not stand. And he understood that, listen, an angry word is just going to stir up strife, isn't it? The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Gideon probably was hurt. He probably had some uh, feelings inside of him that got his feelings hurt maybe because his brother's chiding against him, the the brother uh, tribe that he has there. And uh, he could have said, listen, what's your problem? He could have once said, man, what are you talking about? We're all in this thing together. What's your deal? What's going on? And just screamed and hollered at them. But Gideon was lifting them up. And saying, listen, you got and Zeb. You guys were given, God delivered the Midianites princes into your hands. What am I in comparison to you? He said, man, you guys are the ones that are, are doing some great things. Proverbs 15, 1 we, is the verse we just talked about. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. But another place in scripture, if you want to turn there to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. In verse 32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. You know what Gideon was demonstrating in all this? That he could control his, his troops, he could control his temper, he could control his tongue through all of that. God could trust him to control the troops that he had there with him. He could control his temper and not lash out at his brothers. And he he could control his tongue and not say exactly maybe what crossed through his mind. He would engage his brain before his tongue got in gear, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, He actually uh, did that. He was able to control it. Gideon commends the tribe of Ephraim for their valiant victory. He says, oh, you guys did a great job. Man, the valiancy of your victory, let me tell you what, you got the princes of it. Man, look how proud I am of you guys. You guys brought Orb and Zeb back to it. Man, what a, what a tremendous blessing God's given you. He said, God gave them into your hand. And he began to praise them and commend them for it. He gives them glory and praise that they wanted. But it says their, their anger, look what it says. It says their anger was abated. It says it was abated towards him. When he had said that, his anger, their anger was abated. The problem was temporarily solved. You know why they got uh, unmad at him, as you would say? Because they got glory. It wasn't about what they did for God. It wasn't about, man, God gave us the victory. Gideon said, man, you guys did a great job. And they were like, yeah, we did, didn't we? I'm glad you recognized it. Gideon, I'm glad somebody finally said it. That we got Oreb and Zeb. We were the ones that stopped the princes of the Midianites. And Gideon gave them praise and glory. And it says their anger was abated. It was temporarily solved. These proud peacocks wanted praise. They were addicted to glory. They were addicted to having themselves lifted up. Ephraim didn't care about explanations. They wanted exaltation. They didn't care about accounting of Gideon. They wanted adoration. They didn't care about the conclusions of Gideon. They wanted their crowning. They didn't care about the details, the gloss of the details that was there, all the good things that happened over here and the 120-some thousand Midianites. They didn't care about that. All they cared about was their glory. They wanted praise and prestige. They wanted regard and respect. They wanted a commendation. And such traits are that of those that are a peacock Christian. Somebody who walks proudly and says, oh, look at me. They serve God so that they can be noticed, not because they want God to get glory. That's the tribe of Ephraim. That's how Ephraim acted. Oh, they didn't want to fight the battle. They wanted to get glory at the end of it. They wanted God to do a work through somebody else, but they wanted the pat on the back. They didn't want to be the ones on the firing line. They wanted to be the ones on the sidelines that jump in at the end when the battle's over. They wanted to be the bench warmers on the sidelines, not playing in the game. And when the Super Bowl championship happens, they're the ones that want to come out and say, man, we won this game, and they had nothing to do with it at all. That's the kind of people that they were. And Gideon answered them, he controlled himself in his response to them. He could have lashed out at them, but the Ephraimites were critical of those who were doing something for God. Listen, you know how to make enemies, it's to do something, have something, or know something. You know something, somebody's going to criticize you. You have something, somebody's gonna criticize you. You do something, somebody's gonna criticize you. You're always gonna have a critic. Why? Because people want the glory in themselves. They don't want to give glory. Listen, when God blesses a brother or sister in Christ, you ought to rejoice with them. Don't criticize them. When somebody's doing a work for God, you ought not have to be like, well, you're only doing that for yourself. They ought to be you ought to be rejoicing that they're serving the Lord. It thrilled my heart last night to have Shenandoah Bible Baptist Church over there at the uh the banquet that we had last night. You know what, it it thrilled my heart to be able to give them an award for the work they're doing in Martinsburg. Why? Because a co-labor award, you understand we're not their enemy. We're on the same side. We're fighting the same battle that they're fighting. You know what we could do, Brother Eddie? We could say their church is bigger than ours. There's more people in that church. I can't believe that. We're doing just as much work as they are. We're trying to reach as many people as they are. I can't believe we're preaching just as hard as they are. How come their church is bigger than ours? Because God wants it to be right now. You know what? Let's keep being faithful. Let's keep going forward. Let's keep praising and lifting up our brothers in Christ that are doing a work for God, not getting this idea, well, I can't believe they got their picture in the paper. Man, that preacher got his, his sermon uh, put into the sword of the Lord. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. You understand it's not about us and it would save a lot of turmoil if we just realized it's all about him and not about us. See, Ephraim has this idea, well, I want, the, I want the glory, I want the honor, but I'm here to tell you, friend, our, our verses for this year. But let him that glorieth, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's what you can glory in, is that you know God. That's what you can glory in, that you're walking with God. That's what you can rejoice in, is that, hey, I have a relationship with my Savior. That's what you can glory in. But any work that is done here in Martinsburg, West Virginia, any soul that is saved, any life that is changed is not because of you. It's because of what the Word of God does in other people. We are just a tool that's used for the Lord. And I want you to understand no matter how many people God blesses us with in our church. And listen, I pray God fills this place up. I want to see people coming to church. But I'm not about numbers. I'm about spirituality. I want people to know God. But the more spiritual we get, the more fruit we're going to produce, the more people are going to come. And the closer we get to God, the more the Holy Spirit of God is going to work in people's hearts. I'm all for having people come to church. But I don't want it to be about when people start coming and the, the room gets flooded, us start saying, wow, look at us. Look at what we're doing. Hey, y'all, come to our church because guess what? You can't even find a seat because we've been doing a good job. No, when God fills this place up, we ought to rejoice and sing praise, glory to him that he's working in people's hearts. And it's not about us that he allows us to be used for his glory. That's not what Ephraim wanted. Ephraim wanted the praise and the grandeur and the glory in themselves. They focused on themselves rather than others they focused on well why? why does Gideon get to be the leader he's in a smaller tribe than I am how come he got to be the one to destroy 125,000 there or 120,000 there's 15,000 over here and we only got orb and zeb and then Gideon says man guys God used you to do a good thing You got the princes of the Midianites. And they were like, you're right, we did, didn't we? I forgot about that. Man, that's great. Pat me again. That's kind of the mindset that they had. And we laugh about it because we know that's prevalent in God's churches today. People come in the back doors and you know what they want? They want to be patted. I praise God that we have people in our church that are servants. Thank God for that. We have people that don't like accolades. They don't like being... Given glory, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that people get embarrassed when you call them up in front of other people and say, "Hey, I want to appreciate all the things that you've did," because it shows their heart. They're not in it for themselves. They're in it for the Lord. What you got to worry about is when you call somebody up and they're like, "I'm the next contestant on The Price Is Right." They come running up there. Hey, give me that award. I want to see that. And they they walk back to their seat and they're like this and they're stumbling over their chairs because they just got glory. Listen, I'm not saying don't get excited when things happen. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due, and I believe we ought to do that. I believe we ought to encourage each other and tell them, hey, you've done a good job. Encourage the brethren in Christ. We ought to do those things. But the tribe of Ephraim had a tendency to go to war only when the outcome was obvious and that there was glory to gain from it. They only went to battle when they knew they were going to win. And Psalm 78 verse 9 says this, The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. See what it says? Psalm 78 verse 9, if you want to look it up later for yourself, you can. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Oh, they didn't want to fight when it got... Oh, they had the weaponry. They even had the numbers. But they turned back in the day of battle. This verse is referencing an incident in Judges chapter 12 that we'll get to when we get there where the same same problem that we see here in chapter 8 is resurfacing in chapter 12. we get to chapter 12, the same problem arises when the judge Jephthah is victorious in the battle over the Ammonites. We'll see that when we get there. Ephraim gripes again and says, why didn't you call us? The difference is Jephthah did. But Ephraim didn't respond. Ephraim doesn't respond when he calls them in chapter twelve. They didn't want to fight the battle, brother Nick. They stayed on time. But then, when the victory is happened, they're like, "Why didn't you call us?" He said, "I did, but you didn't come." And he wasn't as nice as Gideon was. He didn't take kindly to them not coming when he called them, and he deals with them severely. And 42,000 people of the tribe are killed. You think about, wow, they turned back from battle. But this is a principle that we find in Proverbs 16, verse 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Listen, Ephraim days are numbered. Because they come to the place where now they're called again for battle four chapters later from where we are right now. And they don't respond, brother Guy. Oh, they want to wait to see if victory is evident before they jump into the battle. And Brother Eddie Jephthah doesn't think kindly of that. And he comes after Ephraim, and 42,000 people die. You think, wow, what a punishment. Anytime that you exalt yourself, there's going to be catastrophe. It's going to happen. Just your days are numbered when you live in pride see the fact of the matter is Gideon faced this great difficulty it doesn't stop him he's not only fought a battle against the Midianites or and now he's fighting a battle against Ephraim an internal battle but it doesn't stop him from going forward He, he continues on for God they're weak exhausting lacking sleep Fifty miles from the battlefield, they've been going, they've been outnumbered, they've been outcast. They're physically speaking out of gas, as you would say. They're tired, they're hungry. Yet they press forward. They were not weary of the work, they were weary in the work. There's a difference. Listen, you're going to get weary in the work. You're going to get tired in the work of God. But don't ever get tired of the work of God don't ever get tired of the work of God. Oh, you're going to get weary in the journey and tired in the way. But listen, we have some spiritual food that can help sustain us and keep us going along the way. And Gideon's coming down in his life now here. They're tired. They're they're coming to this. And in verse four, all the way down through verse number 21, Gideon and his men are an example of steadfastness and determination, living the example of what the Bible says. If we go to second Corinthians chapter number four, I have them typed out here so I could read them for you so we didn't have to turn there. In, uh, verse uh, chapter four, verse eight and nine it says, "We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed." In Galatians chapter six, verse nine it says, "Let us not be weary in well doing. For in due season we shall reap, if we faint not." First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Second Peter chapter three verse seventeen says, "Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness." Listen, your life may be characterized by discouragement it may be characterized by distress it may be characterized by being physically drained and all those but but no matter what your situation god has promised to give you the strength to go on when we are weak he is strong when we are weary he is strong isaiah 40 verse 31 but they that wait upon the lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But there's a key to having the strength you need. It says wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through my own abilities. Not what it says, is it? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can press on when I'm weary. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Listen, with the help of the Lord, we can be faint, yet pursuing. We can be weary in the work, but not weary of the work, and keep pressing forward for God. Keep going forward. But in verse 6, through verse number 9, let's read these in closing tonight. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Salumna now in thine hand, that we should give thee bread unto thy army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord had delivered Zeba and Salumna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Penuel and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered the same as Succoth, and he answered them, And he spake unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Here's what happened. They're weary. They're tired. He goes to another tribe and he says, Listen, can you guys give us some bread? Can you give us some food? We're weary. We're tired. We're 50 miles from the battle. We've been faint, yet pursuing. He said, Will you give us some food? And they said, Do you have all of them? Oh, when you get the rest of them into your hand, then we'll feed you. Gideon's about had enough with Ephraim. And you know what he basically tells him? He said, fine, we'll press on. But when we destroy them, I'm coming back and I'm taking you out too. Gideon says, listen, you don't want to be part of helping us, getting us our spiritual food that we need to go along the way. These were the type of people in these tribes that, professed to be people of God but had no desire to serve the Lord at all they had exactly what was needed for their comrades to go forward maybe it was an encouraging word maybe it could be just a prayer for somebody else but yet we say well no I'm not going to do that not until I see that you're going to do this for me or do this that or the other did you bring it into your hand back to us they said we're not going to give you bread listen we have sometimes you have exactly what your brothers in christ need sisters in christ need and you see they're weary in their journey they're tired in their way and all they need some spiritual manna from heaven that you could help them with you know what we need to do at that time be freely giving of it say what i have bear you one another's burdens so fulfill the law of Christ. you see somebody in the church that's weary and tired, that's pressing forward for God, and you can just tell they're run down and they're tired and they're weary, and you can just encourage them and lift them up and edify and build them up, give them that spiritual charge forward that they need? That's why it's so important to come to church. You understand that? We get knocked down in the battle throughout the week. And it's just encouraging to come to church and get that spiritual manna from heaven and have brothers and sisters in Christ that encourage us along the way and help us to go forward to fight another day. And you know what? That's what we need. But these two cities were calloused. Oh, they didn't care that Gideon them been fighting. They didn't care that they just been pursuing the rest of these Midianites. They didn't care about all that. They professed that they were part of them, but they didn't want to serve you know what they were they were all talk but no walk they were the type of people that liked to boast loudly about it just like ephraim they were afraid that gideon wouldn't defeat the two kings that they wouldn't have uh the complete victory but gideon went forward they mocked his efforts to defeat this enemy They were going through all of this. There was no trust in God, no mention of God, no thankfulness to God for what he had done and all of this. There was none of that. It was just, do you have the other tribes? Do you have the others of Midianites? Do you have the rest of them that you've been pursuing so long? Until you do, we're not going to help you. Basically, you know what they said? You're on your own. Fend for yourself. And you may never say that with your words, but I wonder, do your actions say that? Oh, you know what? You can you can work in that ministry, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to help. I'm not going to encourage you in it. In fact, I don't even like that ministry. I don't, I don't even know why we have it. But then when that ministry thrives and does well, we'll go out and tell everybody, guess what kind of ministry we have at our church? Man, God's been blessing it so much, and we're the type of people who criticized it. We're the type of people that says, oh, you know what, I didn't want to get involved in that. But man, when the glo- when there's glory to get from it, we want to be part of it. And listen, I know the Sunday night crowd is the faithful crowd. I know that the Sunday night crowd is the type of people that maybe you're the ones that are plowing forward. You're the ones that are weary in the journey and tired in the way. But let me encourage you tonight, as your pastor, keep pressing for God. Keep going forward for Him. Because guess what? You can't go wrong serving the Lord. Satan's going to try it. And every time that somebody criticizes you in the work of God, you know your motives and you know your heart. You know why you do what you do. If you do it for the Lord and one of your brothers or sisters criticized you, just understand what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to divide God's church from within. Because if he can get us sidetracked, then he's no longer a target for us. If he can get sidetracked and uh, bothered by somebody in the church, then he's no longer the one that we're aiming at. But you know, the Bible tells us to resist the devil. It tells us to be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking him he may devour. It tells us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. You understand, Satan wants to destroy Faith Baptist Church. You know how he's going to do it, brother guy? He's going to cause turmoil inside the church, he's going to fill it with drama. People are going to be all worked up about what so-and-so said. But understand this, we have a bigger job ahead of us than worrying about what people are going to say. We need to have the mindset of, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Listen, just keep the faith. Just keep going forward. Keep serving the God. When these people of Succoth and Penuel withheld their support from God's work, they demonstrated that they they were against the work of God. And in Matthew 12 and verse 30, it says this, He that is not with me is against me. So guess what? Your inactivity for God shows that you're against God. Inactivity for God shows you're against God. You're either with Him or you're not. You can't serve two masters. You can't be on both sides of the fence. So church, let me ask you this. Whose side are you on tonight? You on God's side? Or are you on the devil's side? Because if you choose your own side, guess whose side that is? The devil's side. But if you choose God's side, That means get involved wherever God will let you get involved. Do whatever you can do for the cause of Christ. You say, well, my health doesn't allow me to come out and do this. Listen, you can be one of the biggest prayer warriors in our church. You can pray for people that are active and serving in these ministries and pray that God gives them strength pray that God gives you can say an encouraging word you can write an encouraging card say hey keep pressing on I wish we could be on the front lines with you our health won't allow us but we are back here praying for you we're here to support you we're here to do this everybody can do something for God but our inactivity for God shows God that we're not on his side he said he that is not with me is against me there's no neutrality or gray area in God's work. Their refusal to give bread to Gideon and the armies and to aid them, robbed the soldiers of the strength they needed, robbed the, their brothers in battle, the sustenance that they needed to press forward and to get the strength that they needed to overcome their enemies. You know what they were doing? They were playing the role of a traitor. Somebody who's supposed to be on your side but not willing to fight with you, not willing to help you. Succoth and Penuel failed to realize that giving bread to Gideon and and his men would assure them of future bread that God would bless them with. See, you understand, when you give what God has given to you, God will give it more abundantly. When you give, he says, give and it shall be given. They wouldn't give. You know what they were doing? Not only were they robbing their brothers of strength that they needed, they were robbing themselves of the blessings of God. And the fact is, when we withhold things from the work of God and encouraging the words of our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what's going to happen? There's going to come a day in your life that you're going to need encouragement. There's going to come a day in your life where you're going to need that spiritual strength, that bread that's going to press on for you. You're going to miss out on those blessings that God wanted to give you because you ain't willing to give of it yourself. And that's where Gideon was in all of this. But yet Gideon was faint yet pursuing. He said this, I'll return and you'll be punished. He said, I'm coming back. He said, I'm going to finish the job with or without you. He said, well, you're not going to like it when I come back since you're not willing to help us. And listen, I'm not telling you to lash out at people in the church that aren't willing to help you. What I'm saying is keep pressing on, even if they don't keep pressing forward, keep going on for God. See, you had these proud peacocks of Ephraim that wanted the glory out of it. Oh, Gideon knew what would what was going to help calm this situation down. I can't believe this. You guys had all these visitors and all this stuff at the church, and man, everybody's been doing it, but nobody said anything to me. I invited somebody to come to church. Nobody patted me on the back. And we come up to him and say, you know what, I'm so glad that you invited somebody. Thank you for doing that. You're right, thank you. I did invite them, didn't I? That's Ephraim. You know what? It doesn't matter who invited them. We ought to glory in the fact somebody comes to church. It doesn't matter what other church in town sees soul saved and lives changed. If they're winning people for Christ, we ought to rejoice and sing praises to them and call them and say, hey man, thank you for what you're doing for the cause of Christ. But we get so selfish. We want to be the glory hounds. Listen, God's not looking for glory hounds. God's looking for people that'll just keep fighting. Just keep pressing on. Even when you're weary, even when you're tired, just keep pressing on for God. Just keep going forward. Listen, Satan wants to do nothing more than to destroy the work that God's given us to do. But we need to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, and just keep pressing on for God. And when people begin to criticize, they begin to mock and laugh at us, maybe say some hurtful words we just keep pressing on keep going forward and understand the victory is the lord's it's his so we're either for him or we're against him where are you at are you on the ephraim side of the battle or are you in the ones that are in hot pursuit for the lord weary in the journey but yet steadfast and unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord with our heads bowed eyes closed